Let me pray for us as we come to the word this morning. Lord, um, just a little overwhelmed this morning, and uh, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the way that you shower grace on undeserving people like us. And just ask that you would open your word to us as we continue to explore this whole idea of belonging and how our hearts um, yearn for that reality. And so would you overcome today the sin of my heart that you and you alone would receive the honor and the glory. For we pray it in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So we stand because of the inspiration, the authority of God's word today as it comes to us in Jeremiah 29, verses 1 through 10. It says, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials, the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elasa, son of Shaphan, and to Gemariah, sure, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And it said, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They're prophesying lies to you in my name. I've not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. This is the word of the Lord today. May his spirit come and show us once more how we belong to him, how he is the answer to the deepest yearnings of our hearts. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So growing up in Dallas, Texas, late 60s, early 70s was a really good time to grow up. I had loving parents. I had an older and a younger sister that I generally got along with. I lived in a neighborhood where I could ride my bike to my friends' houses. I could walk to school. I could fish for crawdads in a stream in the afternoon. It was very much this idyllic kind of world, and we left that neighborhood, moved to another one. It kind of got better, middle school, high school. My parents were not wealthy by any means, but every summer we got to take a big trip. We'd go to the mountains. We'd go to the beach. It was family time. All of that to say that I had a very close-knit, wonderful childhood family uh, kind of experience. The problem was what happened to me when it came time to separate from that incredible family. 
Uh, I had all my life uh, been taken care of by my parents. I don't think it was anything they did intentionally, but I never really learned to carry any responsibility. So when I was a senior in college, the beginning of that year with my dad's voice ringing in my head, at the end of May, you have to move out. Very clear about that. All of a sudden, I started having debilitating, uh, comprehensive anxiety. I was anxious all the time. I started having panic attacks at the thought of having to go out on my own and manage my life in this sort of big, chaotic world that I was facing. I knew that I'd been called to go into ministry. I knew I was supposed to go to seminary, but honestly, the thought of leaving Dallas was completely overwhelming. It would send me into a tailspin every time I thought about it. Lee was still a student in Austin at the time. Just driving to Austin was, took this Herculean effort for me to fight through all this anxiety just to go see her. But through all of this, there was always one constant. Um, There was this place where I knew in the midst of all that that I could go and all that anxiety was just gonna melt away. And I had my own apartment on the other side of town, but whenever I could go to my parents' home, the home where I grew up in, what felt like my house, as soon as I walked in the door, it was like all that anxiety just disappeared. And I was, I was at peace and it had nothing to do with my parents. I was so ashamed of what was happening to me that I wouldn't go over there when they were there. They were at work. But I would walk into that place. It was the place where I fit. It was the place that I felt like I belonged and I had belonged my whole life. And when in other places I couldn't sleep, I couldn't rest, I would actually take these long two or three hour naps on the sofa because I was finally at peace in my own head. And I realized that part of my own emotional healing in that was the discovery that I hadn't figured out my place in the world. I hadn't figured out where I fit, how I belonged, not just to others, I knew how I belonged to God, but I didn't know where I was supposed to go And it was through my study of the scriptures where I realized that over and over again, God would tell people, you got to go from this place and I'm going to send you over to this place. But every time he did, there was always a kingdom purpose and there was a recipe that he gave them for how they could go from the place that they knew to a foreign place and yet still make it their own. You can go to new places, the Bible tells us, and find even there that you belong. Now, we've been talking about this for the last two weeks, this idea of belonging, because as we're involved in this Wednesday night series on gender and sexuality, so much of what our culture is struggling with is trying to figure out, how do I belong? How do I fit in this world? Who do I belong to? And we said, remember in Genesis 1, in the beginning, the way God created it The way God intended it to be is we would belong to him in the Garden of Eden before sin enters. We have perfect relationship with him. Adam and Eve have perfect covenant marriage with each other and they're working in the Garden of Eden. Again, there was work before there was sin and everything worked. And then sin happens and mucks it all up. And we've been trying to get back to that place of deep spiritual belonging in those three areas to God, others, and places ever since. 
But what we've talked about in the last two weeks is we live in a culture that absolutely works against that. The culture is preaching to us this idea of self-belonging. And what self-belonging champions is that you've been set free from any obligation to take care of anyone other than yourself. That you are your own highest, best end and pursuit, satisfying your desires. You become responsible for satisfying yourself, making yourself happy. And in the midst of that, what begins to transpire when you belong to yourself, you have a sudden uh, uh, internal awareness that you're disconnected that you don't belong to anyone. So what do you do? You start looking for it. Yes, I belong to myself, but how do I fit? And what we wind up pursuing are conditional communities based on ideology. So we go, I'm gonna, I'm gonna belong to that political group. I'm gonna belong to that social group. I'm gonna belong to one of those groups that we talked about on Wednesday nights. But they're conditional communities based on ideology. And as soon as you start to think differently or behave differently, you get kicked out. And I said last week, that's the beauty of the church is that we offer an unconditional community of believers, a place in essence to belong, a people, a community of faith. But this morning, kind of the third leg of this stool is that not only do we belong to God and to others, but we actually belong to places and spaces and that God has set it up this way. And when you come into a a sanctuary like this, there are places that give to, this this is a community of faith and it's a sanctuary where when you walk in, for many of you, this, this feels like home. This is where you find your people and you begin to have that sense of belonging in physical spaces and in communities, in areas, in, in neighborhoods. But again, the problem with that is our culture works against our belonging to places. Technology has made us so transient and so mobile that we're constantly moving around. And there are some people who you go, where are you from? They don't, it's just multiple places. There's not a place where they can say, yeah, that's my place. That's my home. I'm, I'm connected there. And in that mobility now through technology, there are a lot of jobs where you can, you can work from anywhere and you may never even encounter a coworker in a place, in an office. But what I want you to see this morning is that God is absolutely about places and our investment in those places, our belonging to those places. It starts in Genesis chapter 12 with Abram who would become Abraham. God says, leave your country, your people, your father's household and go to the land I'll show you. So God is always going to be taking us from one place to another. But when he calls Abraham, he calls him to go up into another place, the promised land. And what happened as Abraham began to invest, he becomes the father of many nations and literally the kingdom of God on earth begins to be born out of the new place that God called Abraham to inhabit to connect to, to invest in. And then Jesus in John 14, it's the upper room discourse. It's the night before the last supper. He says to his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. In my father's house are many rooms. And if it weren't so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And so in the, in the grief that the disciples were feeling, Jesus speaks to all of us. Those verses have comforted so many families who have lost loved ones with a vision of a place that God has uniquely prepared, and it's a place that one day by faith we'll all get to go. And so we'll see the ones that we love again because God is about places. And at the end of the biblical story, Revelation 21, God says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. In other words, a new place. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. So at the very end, God comes down to earth and it says God will make his dwelling with us and this earth becomes our eternal place. This earth becomes our eternal home in glorified, redeemed fashion. This place matters. God is about places and our connection to them, our belonging in them. And Jeremiah 29 is a beautiful illustration of that very thing. I know many of us, we all know Jeremiah 29, 11. We love that. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. You can quote that as fast as I can. But a lot of us, you don't have any idea about verses one to 10, right? What's the context of Jeremiah 29, 11? It's exile. The Israelites have been disobedient. Their, their nation is in disarray because God has judged them. And I don't know if you caught that. In verse four, it says God carried them into exile. In other words, he separated them, took them out of Jerusalem, took them out of their place where they had all their relational connections, their work, their worship, their sense of belonging was all ripped apart and they got taken over here to Babylon. And you can imagine they weren't really happy about being there. They weren't really interested in investing in that place. And yet, God writes this letter to them from Jeremiah, and he says, let me tell you how this is going to work. There's some things you need to do when it comes to finding belonging wherever you may be. Because like the Israelites, sometimes you get called to places that you don't want to go to. But it's still in the plan of God that that's where he has you. So how do you begin to live and belong, even in those places? Number one, he says, build houses and settle in. In other words, he says, you're gonna live here for a while. Settle in. Don't try to keep leaving. Don't try to get out of the situation. I want you to live here. And I've had people come to First Pres and they'll say something to me like, you know, they visit for a while and I call them, hey, can I help you connect? And they go, no, no, we're only gonna be here for a year. We're not really looking for a connection. We just want a place to worship. And I'm like, wow, can, can you bring me your crystal ball? Because I don't have one. And apparently you do. 
right? I mean, how many times have we said what our plan is and it never works that way? How foolish we would be to go to a place and go, well, I'm out of here in a year. You don't know that. And so wherever you may find yourself, invest in that place, settle down, make it a home. I spent my first two years, just like the Israelites in Babylon going, Lord, get me out of here. Lee and I prayed every day for 18 months, Lord, please take us somewhere else. And you know when that turned around for us? When God showed us this and he said, look, you need to just recognize I'm not taking you out. This is it. So settle in. And what that did was it freed us from the constant fantasizing about how great it would be to leave. We spent so much emotional energy thinking about if we could just get out of here. But when you let go of that and you realize I'm not getting out of here, this is where I'm gonna live. Then we started coaching Little League Baseball. We actually started inviting church members over to our house for dinner. And all of a sudden, the last three years turned around because we said, you know what, we're gonna settle in and we're gonna make this place home. So I wonder how many of you today are fighting where you are. You may be fighting living in Orlando. You may be fighting living in your house. You may be fighting where it is you work because you just don't wanna be there anymore. And yet that's where God has you. And so maybe the key to your belonging in that place and in all these local spaces is for you to stop thinking about how great it would be to leave and start investing in the beauty of the kingdom work that God may have for you in this place. Second, he goes on in verse seven. He says, also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And he pairs that with verse five and says, plant gardens and eat what they produce. So God is saying to them, be prayerfully productive do things and think about what's going to make your community, this place where you find yourself, what's going to make it better? Your family, your neighborhood, vocation. Are we praying? I mean, right now, think yourself, how often do you pray for your neighborhood? How often do you pray for the schools that your kids are involved in? How often do you pray for the city of Orlando? How do you pray? How often do you pray for Central Florida and what's happening here? Because as it prospers, we too will prosper. And Alan Noble writes about this whole idea of vocation. This represents a needed change in how we approach vocation or work. At one time, people would determine what they were good at or what they wanted to do, and then they'd go find a job. The better approach is to look at the place and ask, what does this place need? See, that's faith and work theology. That turns everything on its ear. Instead of going, well, I'm going to do this and go find a job, you come into a community and you ask, what what does this place need? How is what you're doing in your Monday to Saturday life, how is it making the lives of the people who live here better? What is the contribution? He says, grow gardens and eat the fruit from them. How are you nourishing and helping the lives of other people grow? And so, you know, First Pres, good example. We came and I said, okay, what does this community need? The most obvious thing around First Pres is homelessness. So that's why years ago we started the Christian Service Center, why we developed Compassion Corner, why we'll help create iDignity, because without an ID, you can't even get into housing, you can't get the services you need. It's the difference between renting and owning, right? When you rent, it's never your problem, because this isn't my place, it's someone else's. But when you own it, 
that's when this belongs to you and you belong to it. And so every weed and every foundation crack and every broken sprinkler head, you see it. And you know, this is what this place needs and I need to fix this to help this place flourish and grow. What are you contributing to the community in which you find yourself through your work and vocation? And then finally, God says, verse six, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that you too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. So he says, continue. One of the places, one of the ways in which you connect to places is by relationships. That's obvious. That's why Lee and I are so bonded to Signal Mountain, Tennessee, is because we had all of our kids there. And when you're having your kids with a bunch of other people who are having kids and they know what it is to have a diaper blow out up the back of the outfit, you bond together, right? But let me be careful when I say this. A couple weeks ago, I want to correct something. I mentioned this on Wednesday night, but no question. Jeremiah says, I want you to marry and I want you to have kids. I want you to raise Christian families. And I got all fired up a couple of weeks ago. And sometimes when I get excited, I can speak in hyperbole. And I said, you know what? One of the greatest things you can do as a young person is get married. I didn't say one of, I said, the greatest thing you can do as a young person, get married and have kids. And, and that would be to negate the way God calls some people to singleness and that season of life. And I don't want to confuse those two things. When you live in singleness, in a celibate life committed to your intimacy with God in Christ, you're speaking and bearing witness to the world of what is to come in the new heaven and the new earth. When in Matthew 22, Jesus says, there is no marriage in the next life. Why? Because marriage is a placeholder. So a single person points us to the reality of the intimacy we will one day know with God, which is why Paul says, hey, if you don't have to get married, don't. Because that allows you to be even more invested in the kingdom work that I've called you to be about. So marriage or single, Jeremiah is writing, relationships help connect you to spaces and places. It bonds you. So let me give you just a quick grid, and I promise I'm almost done. As you think about where we experience relationships, there are kind of four social spaces, public, social, personal, and intimate. Public spaces are 70 or more. Those are college football games, rock concerts, and worship services, right? Big groups of people. Social spaces are 50 to 70 people, all right? That's going to one of your kids' Little League games. That's going to a big Sunday school class on a Sunday morning. Those are your social spaces. Then there are personal spaces. That's 10 to 12 people. That's a dinner party at your house. That's a small group Bible study. And then there are intimate spaces. That's your two or three best friends. Y'all go to breakfast. You're an accountability group. We tend to be really good at public and social spaces because we can be anonymous. We don't have to go deep. If we don't wanna answer a question, we don't have to. We can, we can control public and social spaces very easily. It's personal and intimate spaces <clears throat> where we struggle because that requires what I talked about last week and that's transparency. In personal and intimate spaces, you're gonna to have to run the risk of being known. But it's when you become known and loved in community that you really begin to have a sense of belonging. And it's out of those spaces that kingdom work can be done. Do you know that Lyft Orlando happened from three guys in an intimate space driving to a football game in their car at the Citrus Bowl on New Year's Day. They drove through the neighborhood around the Citrus Bowl and they said, what can we do about this? 
Grace Medical Home came out of personal spaces, five to 10 people who asked the question in our community, how can we help the underinsured and the uninsured and the working poor find better health care? It came out of those spaces. But we've got to, again, be available to be in personal and intimate spaces, to risk transparency, to be known, because in that, it connects us to others and it connects us to the needs that exist in community and how God wants to use us to build his kingdom. And that's what it's about. So let me, let me just say, it's a challenge. I absolutely know it is. I, it reminds me of Daniel. Remember when Daniel, he's in exile in Babylon as well. And Andy Crouch writes of Daniel and the way he managed it. He says, Daniel somehow intuited that he could immerse himself in a foreign culture without losing his distinct identity. So make no mistake about it, people. Today in the life of the church, We are living in a foreign culture. The culture that surrounds us is increasingly out of step and will only grow more so with who we are as believers in Jesus Christ. Then he goes on, small acts of reorientation reminded him daily that in spite of his privileged status, he belonged to another king in another kingdom. Those daily choices prepared the exiles for moments of courage. So here's the thing. As we come to belong to places, even in a sometimes hostile culture. The goal is that we, as the kingdom of God, influence the kingdom of the world, not the other way around. And that was Israel's problem. Oftentimes they would move to a new place and they would adopt the habits and the practices of the culture. But what we're reminded of in Daniel's life, small acts of reorientation, what are those? Coming to church going to a Bible study, living in personal and intimate spaces with people who share your values and asking, how can we make this place a greater reflection of the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of the world? Don't let the culture influence us, but let the kingdom of God influence the citizens of this world. And it all comes back in terms of places to this table because this table represents an invitation to a place where one day we will all be. The Bible ends with the great wedding feast of the Lamb, a celebration of the oneness and the union of Christ our groom, we his bride. And we'll know each other and they'll know us because of the beautiful place God had prepared for us from the foundations of the world. So let us pray as we come to this table. Lord, we love you and we thank you today that not only do you call us to belong to you, to belong to one another, we we belong to the places where you call us, physical places, communities, neighborhoods, sanctuaries. But Lord, you invite us over and over again to this table as a reminder of the place where by faith one day we all will dwell. And so we would ask now that by your Holy Spirit, you would take these common elements of bread and cup that they might become for us the living presence of your broken body and shed blood that we who receive them would be drawn together as one people belonging to you and to your kingdom. We ask it in the name of Christ our Lord. 
Amen.